0: listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Well,
1: good morning, everyone. Boy, it's so great to have the Crave family here, honestly. I know you guys have come from a long distance. How many from Jamaica? How many? Anybody from England? Did I hear that someone from England is coming? Wow. Really, thank you. We are blessed to have the small representation of the broader family here, so we welcome you as family, extended family as well. Um, and for all of us, it's good to be together. It's good to be able to see one another, encourage one another. It's good to be able to sing and worship the Lord, and it's really, really important and good to be able to open God's Word together. I hope that you have time in the Word on your own, that during the week you open your Bible and you read a little bit, and you ask God to help you understand and to change your life, That you pray that there's spiritual disciplines in your life. But one, with that, on top of that, alongside of that, spiritual discipline is to come together as a community to hear God's word read so that we together might hear God's heart and we might be an obedient, responsive um, people of God. And so that's why for these last weeks we have been studying the heart of God, a little series that we have just topically selected some things that we believe Scripture really helps us to see what is on God's heart, right? And so if we can see what's on God's heart, if we see the heart of God towards ourselves, towards us, boy, then we can really align ourselves with that. It's no good knowing God's heart and not caring. What we have to do is hear and see and understand God's heart and then align ourselves with that. And so, so far, we started with the first one, which was God's heart is steadfast love, his faithful, unchanging love for his people. And I hope you've been blessed by just living under the understanding that God loves me, not because of what I can do, but because he's chosen to love me no matter what. Isn't that amazing? The second message we had was about how God is a father. We sang that song from the Lord's Prayer. Our father, he is a father to all of us, and he loves us like family. It's not a business organization or some sort of contractual arrangement that God has with us. He loves us because we are his children. Last week it was a tough week. We heard about God's heart for justice and we became aware of all of the injustice or much of the injustice of modern slavery and human trafficking. I don't know about you, but my heart left there. I'd been preparing and setting it for weeks, but I left there with a fresh heart that was broken for those who are suffering around our world. And God cares about those who are suffering. And God wants his people to care, that we would be a people of compassion. So today is our fourth installment on the heart of God, and it's going to be about integrity of heart. Before I pray, let me just give you the scripture, the core scripture for today. You can write it in your little notebooks, Heart of God notebooks. It's Psalm 51, six. It says this. In the ESV it says, Behold, you, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. And so today we're going to talk about God's heart delights when we deal with truth in our inward being. It doesn't have to be good truth, it can be hard truth, it can be bad truth, but he wants us in our heart of heart, in this secret place, and in the inside of us, he delights when we're honest. Honest with ourselves, honest with God, ultimately honest with each other, but he starts in that place that we would be honest in our heart with ourselves, and have that honesty open before God. Why is it that we have such trouble being honest? Do you, how many people consider themselves generally an honest person? Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I know, most days. Depends on what the issue is. I, I think we often do, but I want to show you today an incredible man, one of the most highly elevated and exalted men in the whole Old Testament and into the New Testament. But he wrote these words... You delight in truth in the inward being because he had to learn that. Because he was a great guy, chosen by God, loved by God, elevated by God, and yet he went to some dark places. Because I think the human heart, the scripture says, is deceitful. The human heart will sometimes, our own hearts will will distort and kind of make a convoluted world inside. And the truth, which is obvious to many, Is not obvious to us. I think each of us has areas of our life where it's very difficult to be honest, to be have integrity in the inward heart. And if you don't believe me, I now give you exhibit A.
0: Hey Jack. Did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I wasn't at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not. No. Not like in the last couple minutes. No. No cupcake for Jack. No. Oh. Okay. Tell me what you need to do. I yeah. know. You need to wash your hands. Did you eat cake? No. Nope. You didn't have any cake? No. <laughs> what have you been eating? Nothing. Nothing? You haven't had a single bit of cake? I had some cake. You had some cake? You did. You ate cake? Yes. I you funny. What? Are you funny? Am I funny? I think you're the funny one. Did you eat cake? Nope. Nope? Why do you need to wash your hands? My hands are sticky. Why are are your hands sticky? And they come from the floor. How did they get sticky? They always come from the floor and they get sticky down the floor. Your hands got sticky from the floor? Let me see your hands. Thank you. It's from the cake. <laughs> it's from the cake. You've been eating cake. Uh-huh. Why did you lie?
1: You get the idea. It's adorable when they're three, right? Yeah, but some of you are like thirty-three, and you're still hiding the cake. When I was. Uh, when I was a kid, I, um, I loved to play baseball. I was never, like, an elite baseball player, but I was good enough. I played almost every day growing up. And uh, one day I was asked to play with the older kids because they needed one extra kid, one extra player. And so my coach, he was known for having these great sayings. So here we are. They put me in, and uh, I think I'm 10 years old. I'm playing with the 12-year-olds. And I was, like, a little tiny 10-year-old, too. I was like, why did they let that kindergartner in at the baseball game? Anyway, so sure enough, I went three for three with three base hits right up the middle, and I was like, oh. and my older brother was on that team, on the older league, and so I was so puffed up, and I, I was just like, I thought I was the man. I was like David Bodie. Anyway, so, but my coach came up to me after the game, and he could see I was all puffed up, thinking very highly of myself, and he looked at me, and goes, you are a legend, in your own mind. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I remember being like, I don't think that was a compliment. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. In those moments, we have to admit, there are times when we have, we're just not honest in our heart of hearts. For a lot of reasons. Our insecurities, the world has taught us that Honesty might not always be the best policy. But Listen, when you're not honest in your own heart, it's a road that leads to trouble. I want to tell you a story today. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's a story of David, David and Bathsheba, and David and his friend Nathan. And here's a guy. David is like King David. He's the greatest king of the Old Testament. And it says of King David that he had a heart after God. He was chosen as a young man, and he rose up to be king because God was with him and God anointed him. He is looked at as a model that says that you will have another king from the line of David who will be your Savior, your Messiah, your Deliverer. And it was Jesus, son of David. So David is a great name in the Bible, but even this guy who was... At everything going right, he loved God, he, he led the nation of Israel, and he was looked at for generations as the model guy. David himself began deceiving himself in his heart, and it was a dark road. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You should know that in 2 Samuel chapter 10, David is leading his army, he is crushing the enemies of God. He is victorious in every way. He is right where he's supposed to be, a warrior pursuing the agenda that God has for his life and for his family and for his nation. He is in the right spot doing the right things. And in chapter 11, we see a shift. So I'll read it with us. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's man and the whole Israelite army they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah the city of the Ammonites but David remained in Jerusalem in sports that's what you say he's out of position he doesn't belong home in Jerusalem he belongs at the head of the army verse 2 one evening David got up from his bed and he walked around the rooftop of the palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and the soldiers, how were they and how was the war going? Then David asked Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his own house. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, Why haven't you gone home from the military campaign? Why didn't you go? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are all staying in tents. My commander Joab and my lord's men are all camped in open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will do no such thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and he drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among the master's servants. He did not go home in the morning. David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Jump down to verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. This is a road to trouble. Let me just throw a couple of things out there for your thoughts. First of all, David was going great. He was God's man raised up doing God's work. He was blessed. He had, he had the whole country rallied around him. He was victorious in battle. David had it all going on. He had no reason except somehow in his heart, a deception took place. And that deception had an opportunity because, number one, he was a man out of position. He had no business being on the roof overlooking the city. He was supposed to be where God had placed him, with his army, pursuing the activities that God had commanded him to do, defending, protecting, He was not meant to be on the roof that morning. Now, you could say he was king. He could do whatever he wanted, and surely that's what he thought. He thought, it's a beautiful day. I'm just going to go for a stroll on my beautiful veranda, and I'm sure it was beautiful, and the view was spectacular. Who wouldn't want to see it? But in that place, innocent as it was, he fell into temptation. He didn't belong there. Anyone who plays sports knows that if you're out of position, you're going to get beat. No matter how good of athlete you are, no matter how much you've worked out or prepared or been recruited by the coach, if you're not in the right place, defending, there's nothing you can do. You're going to get beat. David was out of position. I think of that as a, as a man, as a husband. God helped me from being out of position. I need to be where God needs me to be. It's not just because God wants me to serve a certain way. It's for my own good. They say one of the most dangerous things a person can have is idle time. You just say, I'm going to relax. I'm going to chill out for a while. Man, the next thing you know, you are up to no good. Like, why am I here? Because you're out of position. And no one, no one is immune to this. Neither was the great David. And so what happens with David is he's deceived to think that he can have whatever he wants. Surely he's the king. He's the Lord's anointed. He already has many wives. Why couldn't I have another wife, a beautiful wife? And this thought, this way begins inside of him, and you see the slippery slope he goes down. Well, it's it's a beautiful woman, and I want her. Oh, well, someone else has her. Well, I want her anyways, after all. I'm the king. And suddenly the radical justifications begin triggering in his mind. And his desires began trumping his judgment. And he sends messengers to bring her up. And sure enough, he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. But David, undeterred, unstoppable down this descent into destruction, thinks about how to cover his tracks. How many people have really made a huge mistake? And your first thought is what? How do I cover my tracks? It's really quiet because everyone knows it's true. The lights go on behind you when you're driving. You're thinking, why was I going so fast? I've got to have a legitimate humanitarian reason. (laughs) And if you do it on Sunday morning, I'm warning you, do not tell that policeman you're late for church. Do not tell him that. Do not drag the Lord's testimony down your dirty path. But we think and we begin to justify. Our minds are just, just machines of justification. You can't stop it. And it goes and goes and goes and goes. And so we begins to say, oh, I've got to get Uriah back. Why are you calling Uriah back? Just bring him back. You know how the story goes. And How's it going? Yeah, how's the war going? In the back of his mind, he's got a totally different agenda. He don't know Uriah to tell him how Joab's doing. He don't even know how the battle's going. He should be there. But he's not. And he sends Uriah home, but he won't go. it Because you know what? Uriah is a man of integrity. It's like, how can I go sleep with my wife? And the whole army and the king's men and everyone else is sleeping in tents. I'm not going to be that guy. Stand-up guy. The kind of guy you want by your side. So David's thinking, hey, here's a stand-up guy. Let me get him drunk and see if I can get him to go home. And down and down and down it goes. Until ultimately it descends to murder. And I'm sure in David's mind, he was thinking, it's battle. People die in battle. It's war. People are going to get killed. Might as well be Uriah. The way we can both benefit. Sick as it was, he did not, he did not relent. He was full speed ahead. Little mistakes, and it's point three up there. Major mistakes do not happen all of a sudden. They start small, and they gain speed. It starts with a thought. It starts with a desire. And you think, well, that's just, you know, okay, whoa, slow down, mister. And then it comes back, and then it comes back. And pretty soon, it becomes a decision. And then it becomes an action. And before you know it, this action has triggered the domino effect and everything is collapsing. And David, while he should have been proclaiming truth and protecting God's work, he was deceiving and he was destroying. This same guy who wrote in Psalm 40, he said this, I desire to do your will, O God. Your law is within me. That same guy in this one chapter breaks five out of the ten commandments. Are you kidding me? I love your law. I want to obey your will. Once he starts down this road, five out of ten, like most people in their life, they kind of round up, right? Like I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm not bad. So you kind of round up, so I'm good. But David, he's like five out of ten. You can't even round five out of ten up. Let me read the commandments he broke. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. It means don't lie. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. It includes his wife. James put it this way. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after a desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. The next chapter starts in verse 12. It's really the road home for David. For here David, a man after God's own heart, had taken a road into destruction, had taken a dark, dark road that escalated beyond what he could have imagined. But understand, once Uriah is dead, David is cruising along like everything's okay still. He's not hitting the brakes. He's not pumping the brakes. He's not phoning a friend. He's just like, okay, Uriah is dead. Bathsheba's mine. On we go. But in chapter 12, it says this. The Lord sent Nathan, Nathan the prophet, to David. When he came to him, he said this. Hey, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except this one little ewe lamb that he bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and with his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him, this precious little lamb. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who would come to him. By prepared, he means prepared it to eat. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did, not, did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had, not, had been too little... I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. and You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. I said this was the road home for David. I didn't say it was an easy road. But it's this moment, this this gift to David, this reality check, this word of truth. And isn't it amazing how David can see it so well in others, even become indignant and angry and demand the death of this rich man and demand payment what he had done. He could see it clearly in others. But he was blind to see it in himself. It's not just him. It's us. It's not just him. It's us. So a couple of things happen on this road. First thing happens is that the word of God comes. Listen, the word of God in the book written or spoken by a brother or just quickened by the Holy Spirit in your life, comes as a gift to us to awaken us out of deception and lies and find our way back to truth. It is a faithful and loving gift to us. Some people would not read it lest they be exposed. It's a gift. Secondly, A godly friend went and rescued David. Imagine for a moment if this continues to be the trajectory of David's life. Or if you feel you can, put yourself in that position. David is on the ascent. God has great plans for Israel. Ultimately, God's greater picture is bringing salvation to the world through one of the sons of David. And God is blessing, and the trajectory is going up. David gives in, and he's taking a dark road. You just extend that trajectory down. What Nathan the prophet did could have cost him his life. But he went, and he saved his friend. He saved his friend, and he saved the nation. Because as the king goes, so goes the nation. And we see here something wonderful. I haven't read it to you yet. But after all this, in verse 13, David's response, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So although David has made all these mistakes, although David has has put lie upon lie, justification upon justification, action upon action, and he's destroying everything, and he's blind to it. When a friend comes to him and says, you are that man. You know what David's response was? What would your response be? Get out of my face? You don't know what you're talking about? What would your response be? Like, hey, hey you know what? I'm the king. Nathan, thank you for serving all these good years. No gold watch. I'm just going to cut your head off. I'm, a, I'm not going to hear that from you. Who do you think, oh, oh, have you ever, the feeling just came up in my heart, just the real, who do you think you are talking to me that way? I love it when people confront me or other people, and people have this bad response. And this is what they say. It wasn't what they said, it's how they said it. Have you ever just dismissed someone's correction or advice into your life because I just didn't like how they said it? I didn't like that dress that they were wearing when they talked to me. I didn't, he had this expression on his face. He was just like, so smug. Just another way to dismiss what we need to hear. But David wasn't like that. David actually says, I have sinned. He, he gets the confrontation, and bless the Lord, he has the heart to humble himself and say, you're right. Lord, that we would all have a heart like that, because none of us are immune from making those mistakes, from sinning. The old man John, the apostle, says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. God's truth does not dwell in you. Don't fool yourself. The critical issue here is David's response. Yes, I have sinned. I have sinned. He has a correctable heart. Ask yourself, is my heart correctable? If I was there and you've been there, would I receive the word of the Lord? It's a hard question. We like to think yes, right, because we round up, right? I'm rounding up on myself. Oh, yeah, I think I would. I hope so. God help me. So, David humbles himself, admits his sin, and shortly after that, he writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's response to his experience in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Now, keep in mind, this isn't like Dear Diary in his private journal. This song was, psalm was probably sung in church while David was still alive. It's been in the scriptures for centuries, translated into almost every language of the world, on display for all of us to see. David learned his lesson well, and he wanted us to learn it with him. And so David... On his road to restoration and his road to redemption, he wrote this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Isn't that a profound honesty? Take note of that profound honesty. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Certainly David sinned against Uriah and he certainly sinned against Bathsheba as well. But for him, the most profound sin was against the Lord. You are justified in your words, and you are blameless in your judgment. God, you have every right to hold me accountable. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In verse 6, I read this to you earlier. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret place. Listen, David's road to restoration and redemption was a clear confession of his sin and a confession of God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. Listen to me, it's no good confessing just your sin because that doesn't leave you any better than you started except you're honest. You need to confess your sin, but also you confess God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. When, when the Scripture says that God wants the integrity of heart or the, 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 the honesty of heart, it's not saying the perfection of heart because none of us are perfect. The Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The issue for us is, will we own that? Will we be honest before the Lord and say, Lord, you are right when you see my sin, but Lord, I am also right when I see your steadfast love and abundant mercy? That kind of clarity will jettison you down the road to restoration and the road to redemption. The second thing is this, verse seven. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So David knows after he has his crystal clear, finally, the word of God comes to him. A friend confronts him, and he has a humble, repentant heart. He knows in that position, he can plead to God and say, "Lord, wash me, cleanse me. I want that whiter than snow status on me again." You know, hyssop—it's just, it's just a branch, like a hairy branch. It, you dip it; it holds water. It was used for ceremonial cleaning. It's not like you know; it's not like bleach. It's gonna, it's gonna like you know, bleach me, and I'm just gonna be. No, it's, a, it's the Lord's like His grace. His forgiveness, whiter than snow. Because for God, it's the disposition of our hearts. The cry for forgiveness. The third part is here, caught in these next few verses. Let me hear joy. Let me hear gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold in me a willing spirit. The third part is this, an expectation of joy, of gladness, and a clean heart. Isn't that incredible? See, I like this, because when we talk about the heart of God, this is where the heart of God wants us to be. The heart of God is that we have integrity of heart, that we have an honesty, a core honesty in our life that doesn't try to deceive ourselves or others or justify, but to say, Lord, I'm open before you, and you know my sin. It's not hidden to you. It never has been but you get to the end of that process and you make this claim and say, Lord, let my heart rejoice again. Let my, let my life be filled with gladness. Create in me a clean heart. Lord, let me proceed with a full and wonderful and joyful life. For David, his kingship was not over. There were consequences to his actions. And there was conflict in his home because of what he'd done. But in the end, it says that David served the Lord with all of his heart. And David was restored, made right in the eyes of God and the eyes of his people, and he fulfilled his purpose in life. I love how Peter preaches it in Acts. He says, David fulfilled his per- the purpose of God in his generation, and then he died. Listen. There's something worse than being honest about some of the hard and broken and sinful things in your life. And that thing is this, not fulfilling your purpose for which God placed you here on the earth because he has a good purpose for you. And it's to include joy and gladness and a clean heart. And so God's heart for you is that you would be free and is that you would be in that position. It's a heavy word today because it speaks to the inner workings of our own Self, the foundational thing. But I want you to hear this today, that God's heart delights. It delights when you have integrity and truth in the innermost place of your life. Don't live compromised. Don't live on a off balance, always justifying, always hiding a bit. God wants you free of that. It's his joy and his delight to bring you to a good place. Amen. All right.